Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mino Lion Media presents the Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast. So what's up, everybody? It's uh, Coach Kevin again from Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits. Where we uh, we sit around and we unpack. We talk about diversity. We talk about culture, uh, our differences in general, just so at some point we can find a way to connect. We can find a way to get about understanding each other and move forward. I'm excited this evening to have on a special guest. Uh, his name is Jay Hall. Jay, thank you for being here. Thank you, Coach. I appreciate 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 you. Excuse me about the language. I appreciate you. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, good. Hey, can you start off by just telling uh, the listening audience a little bit about yourself, your background, your education, you know, your career, just anything that you think we need to know about you? Sure, sure. Born and raised in Detroit. Um, you know, lived there my entire life until. Um, until I was about 21, and then I transferred to Howard University. So, I mean, growing up, I actually lived in the area where Motown started. And so even though it was before me, you know, the legend of it and the stories of it from the people that was older was always around. So, you know, growing up, it was always, you drive past the street, they pass by, they'll say, that's where such and such live. That's what happened with Paul with the temptation. So you grew up hearing that, um, you know, throughout there. Um, I live right on the west side, which was like, which would be considered to some people like midtown, right across from a town called, um, small town called Holland Park on Cortland between 12th and Woodrow Wilson, maybe about 10, 15 blocks away from the actual, maybe a little further than that, than the actual Motown house. Um, but in my neighborhood was Rosa Parks. And so I live off 12th street, which was turned into Rosa Parks Boulevard when I was a kid at Rosa Parks. Some people don't know, actually lived in Detroit and her older years or whatever. And so I never knew what house it was, but I knew we all knew it was like she lived in our neighborhood. Like one time, I don't know if this is an urban legend or I was a kid or that like this, not to go too far left. But somebody broke into her house. I remember. And I think like the guy like found out and like apologized. <laughs> it's oh, like wow. went back and returned it. Wow. Yeah. So I grew yeah. up in that neighborhood. And so, you know. Um, just, you know, being regular every day, if I can make a comparison to anything on TV. I, I was actually one of the few people in Detroit who grew up on the East and West Side, back and forth. I went to East and West Side schools. I even went to a school in the suburbs, even though I had stayed in the city. If I can make a comparison to anybody, our porches really look like Boys in the Hood. You know, um, okay. into, into, the, into the hood classics, my life was kind of like Juice. Like I was like GQ. You know what I mean? Like Omar Epps character. I was kind of like that guy. Like I had my head in the clouds and, you know, wanting to do things that just wasn't really in my face. It was always just in my imagination. And hip hop, the culture was something that really I gravitated to save my life. You know, I would probably be one of those. Like the way we look at the kids now, we say we're now entering a generation that was born and raised with social media. I can probably, probably say that I was part of that generation that does not remember when hip hop doesn't exist, did not exist. 
And because of that, it definitely gave me an outlook. It definitely gave me a sense of purpose at very, very young age. I was I was extremely young and understood the words that were coming out of their mouths on the microphone. And because of hip hop and the culture and being able to hear these stories that was looking real similar to mine, it made me want to be a part of it. And before I talked too much, everything changed when I bought my first Source magazine. When I bought my first Source magazine, which was the hip hop Bible at that time, Scarface was on the cover of a Ferrari. And discovering the Source magazine, discovering that there was people actually documenting this culture and talking about albums and talking about best lyric and all this stuff, I understood that there was a world out there and our culture was being documented. And I didn't necessarily have to be a rapper to participate. That was what got my engines turning that I knew I wanted to be a part of it in some form of way. Uh, I, I was very young when I discovered that I wanted to be a writer for my fourth grade teacher because I used to draw. And on the back of my drawings was a, I would write the story. And my mother told my fourth grade teacher. And so those two introduced me to the possibility of being a writer. And then when I bought my first source magazine, that introduced me that there was a world that was documented. So I made that connect. And then somehow I wanted to be a part of it. And that's what started my journey on like, I got to be a part of this. What am I about to do? And that's a pretty dope intro. Uh, that's that's incredible. Um, I got two questions for you. Uh, well, actually, three. Number one, how are you going to break in Rosa Parks house? That's what crazy me? to me. Right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's, <laughs> that is so crazy to me, man. You know, uh, number two, uh, can you go a little bit deeper when you say because I feel you in the hip hop. I, I mean, I remember when, gosh, it really meant something. And it, what, it seemed like things have reversed. You know, back in the day, it was the words, right? Uh, and, and, and you know, thought it was a donut, you tried to glaze me, right? It was the words. But now it's so much the beat, you know what I'm saying? And the different things. And, and, and it's totally different. But But if you don't mind, dig into how hip-hop during that time saved your life? If you could just go a little bit deeper. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I, I Actually, I had wrote an article about uh, for Walks and Choose Bubblegum. If anybody want to go into detail, walksandchoosebubblegum.com wrote a story about my 20 year when I left um, Detroit. It's been officially, this past January was officially my 20 year. And I wanted to document that, you know, not run from it, be ashamed of my age and none of that or my time that I spent because it was real. So when I was younger, it was understanding that there were people who were speaking about the stories that were going on outside my porch. As I got older and became that teenager, that adolescent that was now, you know, I'm the only person going to the corner to catch a school bus. You know, a lot of my friends in my neighborhood, they stopped. They stopped like in middle school and they were in the streets. And so now I'm going to the corner in elementary school and middle school and and high school, I was, I'm, I'm by myself. So I'm recognizing very early on that the decisions that I'm making are by myself. And and back then, you still have, I, was, I would argue that you still have it today, but you had it more then. Rappers, they would tell you about the streets, but they always ended it with telling you about the consequence. So all of the songs ended with the consequence of my actions. So if the song started off with the rapper saying they was doing this and they was living like this, you know, 
you know, whether it was Ice-T or whether it was, I mean, even from Ice-T to Karis one to even when you fast forward to even in the, in the golden era uh, where you had the, the locks and you had um, Jada Kiss and whatever, whatever your favorite era is, there was a period of time where rappers always told you about the consequence. I heard that consequence in that last ride. And so because I heard that consequence, I knew that if I was to do the things that a lot of my friends were doing, it would be an end very shortly. And then I had friends dying very young. My, my first friend died when I was 18. His name was Adonis. Um, he was murdered right before I graduated out of high school. And I had been already like five funerals by the time I was by the time I was 17, just from bigger homies who were getting killed in the streets. And it was a regular thing. And, you know, you there, I'm seven, I'm seeing the funeral. Okay. Big homie, such and such got killed. Big homie, da, 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 got killed. And I'm seeing all of that. But then when my friend got murdered, that was the first time I was of age where somebody to the right of me was gone. You know, not someone above me was gone. And I had a big homie named Rich, um, who I talked about all the time, who kept me he was one of the architects of people who kept me out of the streets. He was the person my grandma and my mother was sitting to come get me. He was the person everybody in the hood knew that if he was out there looking for me, I, I like I listened to him. You know what I mean? He was like nine years older than me. And so, you know, I had a neighborhood that really was invested in me. And hip hop talked about that. And hip hop, not, not, so, not so much in the music, but even with Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, you know, talking about those kind of neighborhoods and things like that, because hip hop was expanding. It was going into film. It was the dialogue was going in different places, just in the music. You know, I mentioned Boys in the Hood. We were starting to see these images on TV and in the movie theater. That was me. So because of that, I really understood the lesson. And so when I got when I started becoming older, you know, with me and my friends, there were certain things that I was willing to do out in the street and it was but I always had a part of me that was like if we went somewhere twice and got away with it I wasn't gonna go a third time and it was something about when I didn't go that third time I would hear back from my friends to be like yo you know what happened to everybody everybody got arrested everybody got killed and once I start seeing that start happening a lot I start using my discernment a lot better even though I didn't even know what that word understood that word meant at that time and that was coming from in hip-hop because it would be a song, and I can't think about it at this moment, but it, it would be a song where a rapper would be like, yo, if I just would have stayed home, you know, it, it would be some sort of line in there. And I will always refer to that line in my head and be like, yo, that's what happened. So that's, it was several times or multiple times where hip-hop saved my life, where I'd be riding around and me and my cousin, and he would want to go do something, or we'd be down to go do something, and I'd be like, nah, man, we need to, we need to turn back. And the couple of times in my life where I didn't listen, we saw what would happen. Like we would, we would witness something and we would say, damn. And then I start leaning more on the times where we didn't come to risk. So, you know, hip hop played play a, uh, a real big part on the survival aspect part of my in my life. Right. That's awesome. And I can relate. Uh, I remember uh, because we all had to grow up. Right. I was born in Harlem. Then I moved, spent the rest of my time growing up in Charleston, South Carolina. But we all had to grow up. And so we all had to do stuff. We all kind of came through the streets. Uh, and I remember uh, like it was yesterday. It was this. We all have a song that just boom. Right. That really impacts us. And for me, my straighten up song was Bone Thugs in Harmony. Meet me at the crossroads. <laughs> that was my straighten up. You know what I'm saying? Because. Like you said, I didn't want I didn't want that to be me. 
I did not want that to be me, you know. Um, so what, what was your straighten up song if you had to pick one? Man, my straighten up song. Thank you. That's a good one. My straighten up song. I had a lot. And I'm probably going to kick myself when we're done with this conversation because I'm going to say one. But I'm probably going to think about five others. <laughs> oh, my straighten up song. The one I, I still sing to this day is um, Ice Cube's A Bird in the Hand. And and I and I say these things because I was like single digits listening to these some of these artists. My my big homies was the ones who was putting me on. And when they were rapping, it was more catering to them than it was to me at that time when I was in elementary school. But a bird in the hand, he starts off saying, fresh out of school because I was a high school grad. Gotta get a job because now I'm a I'm a high school dad. I wish I got paid by rapping to the nation, but that's not likely. So here's my application. You know, and so he's going through this whole thing about how he's trying to live, but there ain't that many options. So he starts making his money. But then, you know, he said, there's no SE. There's no SC for this youngster. I didn't have the money. So now I got to punk you. You know, it's he talked about all this. But in the end of the song, he ends up in jail. You know what I'm saying? Because he talked about, um, you know, how crack is now affecting, you know, senators. He said, not senators are getting high. And da 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 da, and and he's talking about the crack laws and all of that, and all of that was above my head. I, I've come to understand it more when I got older. You know, that's the thing about I feel like great art you can revisit it. But what I understood at that point was, as a black man, I got limited options, and ninety percent. If I got three options, two of the options are going to end up dead in jail. That's I, like I understood that even then, and I saw some of the bigger homies trying, you know, trying to 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 do what was right. Um, I saw them trying to get jobs. You know, I was I was a kid, but during my era, what was happening was a lot of people, you know, Detroit is a blue collar town. So you work at the plant. That's what you do. And while I was coming up, we didn't have that privilege. A lot of people were getting laid off because Japanese cars was becoming a big thing. So a lot of the men in my neighborhood and around my way were sitting at home for weeks or some of them years. And so a lot of the teenagers of that time, what I like to call the pay and four era, they were on some like, no, nah, we're not doing that because I'm seeing my dad sitting home. I'm about to go out here on this corner. So they were getting money really, really fast. But then they were also ending up in jail. So when I heard a bird in the hand, that song kind of made me say, I had it in my head automatically. So when I got older, to your point, before I got to straighten up, I can always go back to that song. I can always go back and be like, man, you know what I mean? I don't know, yo. If I get a girl pregnant as a teenager... I might be forced to do this. You know what I'm saying? Like if yeah. I if I if I go over here, I might be forced to do this because I had I heard that song so early, so it stayed in my head from that. So I, I would say I'm gonna kick myself in the head. I really am. But a bird in the hand is is in my playlist even now. Bird song. in the I'm hand. Hey. Yeah, I'm gonna check that out as uh as soon as we finish tonight. A bird in the hand. Okay, it's so, on death certificate. <laughs> okay, would you say that? <laughs> If something was missing from from hip hop today, is it sometimes you believe that it's the whole story? Because listening to you just, you know, break it down and talk about hip hop back in the day. It really told a story. Right. OK, here I am. This is my current state. You know, I can, I, I got these options, A, B or C. Right. But if I do I take the road to the left and I shouldn't, this is what can happen. Do you think that today the whole story is missing out of hip hop in some cases. Yes, I do think the whole story is missing, but I think we missing the whole story 
I think that's culturally what we're doing. You know, we're now blowing things up off of a 30 second. How many times something go viral of somebody says something, whether it's a politician, rapper or whatever. And then when we listen to the whole conversation, if you are that person who's going to listen to the whole conversation, you'd be like, this is totally out of context. You know, um, I do believe that it's misunderstood story because I think what happened over over time is that you had an era where rappers talked about the consequence consequence. Then you had an era, and I like to call it the Rick Ross era. You had the era where rappers who talked about they were in the game and they didn't tell you about no consequence. They was like, this is how I'm living. Right? And then once I feel like a generation saw that you start growing up, because what happens is a generation starts hearing what's being left over. You know what I mean? They don't necessarily, unless you got like a big homie or a mentor or somebody who's going to make you listen 10 years prior, you listen to the last thing that's left. You think about yourself or you and I, when it comes to soul music, right? We, our first probably soul music sonically in our ears was, was probably Thriller. And then we get older and we like, man, that was like Little Richard. That was like all this other stuff, right? But we had people who would tell us. You know, I remember when I accidentally thought that Olivia Newton-John song was um, Let's Get Physical. I thought that was it. And I had somebody older be like, no, nah, man, she had all this other stuff, right? You don't have that no more. You don't have the middle person to tell a young person like, okay, Rick Ross is hot, but you got somebody who came out before him 10 years ago. And you kept having that. You kept having kids only listen to what was left off. And so what happened is, is that there was no consequence in the song, but the profits were still growing because the culture itself was still growing. Labels started capitalizing off of it, and they only wanted to promote a certain image, a certain likeness. And we know black bodies are disposable in America. They don't, they don't care about the effects that it's having on a generation and stuff like that. And listen, I've argued, and it's controversial what people felt differently. I've argued that rappers aren't your... Your, aren't, aren't your role models. Because, listen, I grew up two different people telling me one thing. Magic Johnson told me he was my role model. Charles Barkley told me he wasn't my role model. And their actions reflected that. So yeah. when Charles Barkley said something trash, I didn't get disappointed when Charles Barkley said something trash because he told me he wasn't my role model. When Magic Johnson did something and we found out that he had AIDS and he was living a different life than what he had promoted, that was a little bit more disappointing because he had been telling me he was my role model. So that's me. That's how I take it as. But I think what we all probably underestimated was the power of corporations and how they promoted uh, only one singular way to for them to get profits. And so it became a bigger game about what's going to make money versus, okay, it's important for you to add morale in there. Because the only time they care about adding morale is when it affects their children, when it affects white society. That's the only time they want to rally up. And say, oh, we need censorship, and it should, it's when it starts affecting their kids. When it affects our kids in black communities, no one cares. You can say the N-word, you can call them one B, no one cares. But you say something about another community, that's when all of a sudden the labels and the corporations and hell, you can be the CEO of Colgate, you know, and they're gonna have something to say and it's going to yeah. affect you. So yeah, in that sense, the entire story is not necessarily being represented, but there's reasons why to that. Okay. That's cool. I want to switch it up a little bit. And uh, and I want to talk about the platform that we are. Right. This uh, this new thing, not a new thing, but this this phenomenon of, of, of podcasting. How how important do you think this this platform is and how important can it be to influence and change? I think it's extremely important. You know, I, you and I met on my show, The History of Being Black and the history of us as black folks in general, the reason why podcasts 
I would say resonate with us more so is because we're original storytellers. Especially if you're an ancestor of 1619, you know, we didn't have any documentation, no pens and everything. They took away the education from us, so we couldn't write it down. So what we had in our heritage to pass on was our storytelling, was our storytelling. You know, our grandmas, our great grandmas, our uncles, our grandfathers, our fathers, our mothers, you know, storytelling. You know, you and I connect because I was telling you about how my family original roots is from South Carolina. Right. And 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 my grandfather, um, the urban legend is, even though on paper he joined the military to take my mother and my and uh, my, my grandmother, his wife at the time. But the urban legend was he sliced up a white man because a white man was getting ready to jump. Him. So he had to get the hell up out of town. Right. Those are those are oral stories. You know, podcast allows you to elaborate. Um, I came from a traditional radio where I came right across when radio made the change to do a system called PPM and PPM wanted you to talk shorter. They wanted you to be a jukebox. And people were making that argument then that, listen, the reason why black radio is so successful is because we're able to talk more. But no, they were going by the data and everything like that. So they took away the voices in traditional radio. So in traditional radio, I got to come on there and talk for like 10 seconds. I don't have time to tell you the story I just told you right now, the story that by the time I was 20, my life started having a crossroads where I had to make a drastic decision between either I'm going to go to the school full time or I'm going to hit the streets full time. And then I got an opportunity to go to Howard University and I had never been to the East Coast at all. Nobody in my family ever been there. Nobody in my family ever heard of a black college. And so I took $365 and I bought a one-way ticket and I just went out to D.C. with my letter, folded up in my pocket, never been there at all, right? That comes from having the ability and the time to talk about that in podcasting. So it's extremely important because first, as as Black folks, what we have is our tongue. That's our first able to document here, especially here in America, is our tongue. And so podcasts give us an opportunity for that. Wow, that's pretty dope perspective. Uh, so, in still talking about podcasts, what inspired you to start a podcast, and why did you name your podcast "The History of Being Black"? So, I didn't start it. I got a call from an old friend of mine named Amber. Shout out to her, who referred me to producer Ken, who has a company, Mean Lion Media, and History of Being Black was being hosted already by a comedian before me. And so from to my understanding, once the COVID restrictions were lifted, the comedian went back on tour, to my understanding. Um, so the opportunity, they needed a host. And so Amber recommended me to Ken. Me and Ken had multiple conversations. You know, he wanted to know about my perspective. He was talking about what his idea was and what he was trying to do to move forward. And we both kind of had a very, even though that's the first time us meeting, we both definitely connected on understanding like the purpose of it. Because for me, I had broke away from traditional radio about maybe like nine years ago and I started more invested to the digital space. So I had been a part of a podcast co-host with a, a friend of mine named DJ Academic called Hip Hop Matrix Show. And I also was a part of another platform that I'm still a part of to this day, a nonprofit organization and station in DC called Starting With Today, where we had this thing called Shape Up, where we go into barbershops and we were having communications about mental health. There's, it's led by a therapist, a licensed therapist, and we have conversations about mental health in the black community and things of that nature. So I was 
always a part of these things and, and you know, advocating my voice. And I had mentioned to you, I was already a writer for AURN. And so Ken understood that, I understood his vision. And so I came part of the team that was already assembled. I got to give credit to them um, for that. And my reasoning for podcasts is what I mentioned to you before, that I had, I was one of the early people even on SoundCloud, me and a couple other people out there um, in the early Twitter days where we were on SoundCloud voicing our opinions and things of that nature. You know, that was before SoundCloud started licensing us and we couldn't play music on our on our stuff and everything like that. So I had already had a history of it and I was very happy to be a part of the history of being black because of what it spoke of about what is blackness and what is its history, you know, and what is its importance in America. And that's what I'm all about. And I it was I was very much so and I still remain appealed to want to be um, a voice in that. So that's how I ended up here. Cool. Cool. I know uh, I don't know much about uh, Shape Up, but I'm definitely going to circle back around and uh, and get some more information on that because, you know, being a for- in law enforcement and being a former police chief, I know how much is talked about in the barbershop. A lot of community issues get solved right there in the barbershop. So I'm, I'm curious to hear more about, about that, maybe at a later date. Um, so can you share with us, it, were there any personal or professional things that may have happened along your journey so far that's really helped shape you and who you are and where you're at right now? <laughs> so many. I will have to say off the top, all of the losses, all of the failures, yo, um, I, I, I told you I ended up going to Howard University and you can imagine showing up there with my acceptance letter was not easy. And I happened to come to Howard when they had the largest um, freshman class, transfer class ever. And so a lot of the students were in hotels because they had no room. Because usually in college, they accept everybody, but they not they accept who they accept, but they're not expecting everybody to come. So That's I right. had to find um, a gentleman named Mr. Ford who a random lady gave me his number at the Howard Welcome Center at the time. And I got on the phone with him and he took a gamble on me and he let me stay with him until there was a dorm. Right. Um, and I stayed in his basement and I caught the bus on Georgia Avenue to Howard for a month. It's about two months until they had a dorm um, room available for me. And so I I'm in Howard and I'm there and I'm only thing I knew about Howard at the time was that Diddy went there. Because like I told you about my hip hop connection, I would read about Diddy in the Source magazine and he would always brag. He was the first individual I ever heard brag about going to college. I had never heard anybody brag about going to school. Most of the rappers was bragging about how they dropped out of school or people in hip hop. And so when I, while I was there, before I came out, I got an internship at WPGC, which is a heritage station in Washington, D.C., home of legendary Donnie Simpson, um, Big Tigger, um, um, Shell Wright. All these legends, you know, a lot of them were doing TV and they were on radio. So these people were legends, right? You know, Donnie Simpson was on BET. And even though I, did, I grew up broke with no cable, I knew who Donnie Simpson was and knowing that he was from Detroit, right? So I got my internship there. Once I got my internship there and um, I wanted to be the intern because I heard the story of Puff and then I heard the story of, of Tigger and all these people. So I was like trying to always be the last person to leave and the first person there and I would stalk my program director when he would leave the office. I knew the timing when he'd leave the office. I would catch him in the elevator and I'd say, hey, sir, can I just get two minutes with you tomorrow? Uh, and he was like, all right, maybe, you know, <laughs> things of that nature. And so I worked in, uh, after my internship, I worked in the research 
and I kept throwing my demo in. And the fact in that era, in that time, no one, no one had no sensitivity like what we do now in the work office. Back then, you had what was called an air check, and it was almost like your demo of your voice. And I would put it in. Now, mind you, air check only supposed to be about two minutes. And they would listen to my air check for like 10 seconds. Like, this is trash. Throw that joint out the window. You know what I'm saying? Then I got to go back again, redo it again. And I got to wait six months again for a whole nother meeting. Right. And I did that a lot. But when I finally got a chance to get on air and I finally got a chance to crack that mic, um, I would say two things in my life, really. When I finally got a chance to crack that mic and somebody was able to hear me and it was a guy who was working garbage at 4 a.m. Because my first shift was 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. And somebody actually connected with me that let me know, like, boom. And even when I finally wrote something and my first article got published and there was somebody who didn't even like my article, they actually was mad at me. But it was uh, making that connection. I knew I was right about this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to have a voice, you know what I mean, in, in that matter. So those two things. But getting on air was was harder than me trying to get uh, published because by the time I started writing and getting back into the digital space, I came up in the blog era where a lot of people were doing their own blog thing. And so I started writing with an article uh, piece called Dumb Rappers Need Teaching, a blog called Dumb Rappers Need Teaching. And so I was writing editorials for them first. But when I got on there at WPGC at a legendary station and I'm on here with all these greats and all these legends, uh, and even I might be on at three in the morning, I'm on and you can't take yeah. that from me. You know what I'm saying? So right. being, even though yeah. I'm not making the money they making, because I'm making $6 an hour or whatever, and some of them making millions, I'm like, yo, but I'm here. So yeah. that was that was yeah. one of the things right there. That sounds like a real aha moment. That's that's what's up. So you've been podcasting for a while, and, and I'm not going to ask you who has been your favorite guest, right? That wouldn't be fair. I'm not going to ask you that, but I am going <laughs> to ask you... What episode of your podcast has had the greatest impact on you? And the greatest impact? And I would have to say, so I pause a little bit with greatest impact because I'm I'm somewhat of like, a, uh, I revisit lessons a lot, coach, I do. So sometimes I'm in the moment and I'll do like six episodes or something, right? Same thing with an article. I'll write like six. And sometimes I don't necessarily understand the impact until later on. Uh, to be, you know, if I'm if I'm being really honest with you, sometimes the impact of it um, doesn't doesn't hit me. But you know what? I want to I want to get the name right because I want to say this correctly um, as far as who she is and why it I'm not going to say like it had the biggest impact on me, but I'm going to tell you off top is she was a part of man, where is it? I'm looking at it right now. Uh, OK, yes. I would say Amy Allison, who is a part of She the People. I think she's the head of it. And if I'm wrong, because it's been a long time since we talked. And She the People, she's the founder of She the People. And She the People is an organization that's big on getting women and valuing the, the importance of the, the, the woman vote, and spe- specifically Black women. And the reason why that had impact on me is simply because of this. I didn't know that existed. All right. I didn't know that existed. I didn't know there was somebody out there championing for that. I'm always impacted by the stories that we're not telling and we don't show the light on. You understand? And I hate when I hear people say, you know, where was you at with this and where was you at? And I always tell people, if you look, you'll find it. Like there are people out here 
trying to make a better way, like every day, just like we're rappers, right? Yeah, we got a lot of rappers out here that you may not like, especially if you love hip hop for a certain period of time, because but we also got to understand hip hop now is still it's the youngest genre. It's, it's it's literally about it just turned 50 or it might be 50 next year. I think it just turned 50. Right. The rap that you want, the hip hop that you want, it is out there. You just got to go through a bigger search now than you did when you were younger. But is it out there? Yes, it is out there. There are rappers talking about the things that you want to hear. They're out there. There are people out there doing the work. You just got to open up your ears. And then what I liked about having a conversation with Amy Allison is that it showed a hundred more times how black women save the day because she's out there rallying and advocating for people and not waiting on, to my knowledge, not waiting on every four years in November, every two to four years in November. Like she's doing her work now. And it just made me think more about every time you hear about, well, we need to vote for this senator because if this senator gets in, if this senator doesn't get in, then the Republicans, you got somebody who's actually doing the work. And black women are honestly always out there doing the work. So talking to her and just, I just sat there and almost forgot I was on the podcast because I was just being educated. You understand? Like I got, and you know, I don't know if you ever encountered that or you will, you, you get so lost to somebody. It's like, Oh man, I got to ask a question because she was just giving me game and giving me knowledge that I did not know and I wasn't aware of. So I, I still kind of go back and I listen to that sometimes just to think about that. So I was at the top of my head so far with the history of being black that had my biggest the impact on that show. But if I can just say really quick, when I was on starting with today, we did the shape up. I did a podcast episode with barbers and it got really emotional because barbers are our first therapists in our neighborhoods. And people piled on them and piled on them. And there was one barber in particular, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but the episode is still out there, where he went into, he started venting because he talked about how his father passed, nobody gave a damn. And it lets you understand, like, man, we pile on people all the time, and we never just check and say, how you doing? You know, we never never see how you doing. We never even ask, hey, coach, are you ready to hear what I'm about to lay on you real quick? Because you might not be in that position to hear that. And this one particular barber, man, he talked about, like, how nobody gave a damn, and he's been cutting hair for, like, a decade. You know what I mean? People have unloaded on this brother throughout the years, and he got to get up every morning. He said, I don't just cut hair. I got to be prepared to hear the story. Like, I think he even talked about cutting a brother's head who was about to or was angry that he found out that his woman was cheating. And he, so he said there, he was like, yo, I'm, I'm slowly cutting his head. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. To talk him out of it. And so that was very impactful because that was another conversation that almost got away from me, but we was able to bring it back together. And shout out to Charlotte Anderson, who was the founder of Starting With Today, because she was there with me and she had a relationship with the barbers. So she was able, black woman again, to kind of give him that comfort to bring him back down because I, be, I ain't a lot of you, coach. I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, we used to stop East DC in the barbershop at the hours. That's right. I didn't know what yeah. was going to happen. You know, so I would say... <laughs> That episode really impacted me. And, um, you know, Amy Allison, she the people is, is still doing numbers on me right now. Yeah, that's pretty strong. You said a couple of things that just kind of tickled me, man. Um, number one, when you talked about the information's out there, we just got to go find it. It made me think about the encyclopedia, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we had. If we had it, you know, maybe we can go to a neighbor's house and borrow, you know, what I'm saying something or maybe we had a section, but we didn't have Google. 
You know what I'm saying? We didn't have search engines. And, and so you're right. Right now, man, just the, the information that young people, not just young people, but everybody has at their disposal is incredible. Uh, and number two, the barbershop. I remember the first time I asked as a grown man, I asked my barber, you know, I walk in, I say, hey, man, how you doing? And he said, man, my back hurting like hell. You know what I'm saying? He said, but thank you. But thank you for asking. And and, and we 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 still friends today. He didn't cut my hair anymore. But to your point, they are people, too. And they play an important role. You know what I'm saying? In the village, they play a very important role in the village. Tell us. Let me see if I can catch you off guard. I know I can't. Tell us one little known fact about Jay Hall that nobody else knows. One known fact about Jay Hall that nobody else knows. Nobody else knows. Okay. Um, Jay Hall has about six different nicknames when he go back home to Detroit. <laughs> and they're all meaningful. Um, when You know how some people have a nickname that was on the use when they were like from seven to nine, right? No, like my nicknames, depending on what part of town I'm in, is is there. So my first nickname was, was Bounce. That was in my hood. Right. And it's because I was moving around a lot in my mom's stomach. So they was like, yo, that boy, a bouncy, he, he a bounce like bouncing baby boy. Right. So I, I go around the way. I'm still I'm bounced to everybody. I don't care how grown up a man I am. I'm bounced. Right. Then on the east side of Detroit is I'm sugar because first it was originally despite what people were to say over my neighborhood. I was they were saying that I, I had the, 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 the haircut like Sugar Ray Rock, Sugar Ray. But really, later on, it became because of my hands and because um, allegedly, you know, what, what sugar also meant in certain parts of the neighborhood. Like I I was able to connect people to certain things when I was, you know, before I found Jesus. <laughs> um, so I was sugar. And, you know, then I got a little older. Friends was calling me Hove, as in Jehovah, because Hove, so they were saying because I was always on some, quote, different shit. You know what I mean? Like, I'll be the thinker. This is during that period of time I was telling you about before I went to Howard. You know, I would have these philosophies or I'd be like, yo, why we shouldn't do this or whatever. It was just like, you know, oh. So those three names right there, even before it was like, you know, Jay, and Jay's my middle name. Um, Will is my first name. And they always seem to spark up something different in me whenever I'm called that. Um, and I allow people who know me over years and depending on where they know me from to let call me what it is. Um, so... That's that probably that that fact people don't know about Jay Hall is that depending on who you with, they might not know. Some people might not know Jay Hall. Some people might know uh, Will. Some people might not know Will. Some people might know Bounce back home. You know what I mean? Some people might know Sugar. It's it's an interesting thing, and it's like depending on where they know me from, you might think you're talking about two different people because I went through so many different parts of my life. I was a different person, you know, um, that represented those names. So yeah. That's something I can I can say, and the fact that I'm not I don't like cheese. I don't like I don't even, I don't even like cheese. I never like the taste of cheese. Like when people have those mac and cheese arguments every Thanksgiving on Instagram, I, I have nothing to say because I never like cheese, yo. I be feeling so out of it. Like I got nothing. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. So I'm gonna call you Jay Hall, man of many faces, man of many faces, <laughs> six nickname. That's crazy. So on a serious note, Jay, what what do you think is truly holding our country back? from coming together and do you think we will ever get where we need to be? And excuse me for repeating the question out loud. I do it because I just want to make sure I get it right. What, what, what do I think is holding our country back? And do I think we'll ever get to where we need to be? 
Absolutely. Okay. See, it's it's a little bit difficult because I feel like as a black people, we wasn't a part of the original plan of where America was needing to be. We wasn't in a room when the laws was made, although we built this country for the free. And this country got the biggest free labor, no check any other country has ever gotten. We wasn't included in that. Um, and for me, unless America can acknowledge its contribution, uh, bl- black people's contribution, what we've done, that we built this country and make us a part of that and start having laws that really affect us. And don't give me that rising tide, raise all boats crap, because it doesn't. I don't know if we can get to where we need to be, but it can it can be somewhere on that path of it because there's a lot of things that's in play when it comes to just being black in America. And I look at life in America as layers. The person who get the highest privilege is the white male. After that is the white woman. Way down lower, you know, it's the black man. And then at the bottom is the black woman. And there's everybody else in between. And if you're hearing this and you're not a part of that category, you fit somewhere in between in that. Until we get to a point where we can understand those things, like us as black men recognizing our privilege and a little bit of privilege we have as men to be able to help that with black women and be more of an assist in protecting them and being there for them and not being their biggest critics, but being their biggest companions. The more we can get back to that for ourselves, then we can understand and that we are America um, when it comes to here. Like black America is America. We did make this country. And so if this country can't recognize that and can't come to parts of that, I don't know, to be honest with you. And I I, I don't want to be a pessimist, but I'll tell you one thing, coach. I'm also a believer that we all run. I I, I ran track in high school, right? And I was on a, I was on the um, track team and I was on a relay team. And, you know, I had to pass the baton over, you know, I'm a big believer that each generation passes that. So maybe I'm not supposed to see it. Maybe I'm supposed to get our culture as much as I can to a certain point, And maybe somebody else supposed to actually see it. I might be too. I might be too far gone to actually see it, to really give that question. It's, it's rightful answer to think without being pessimistic to say like, yo, we'll, we can get back on track. Cause I don't know what that track was. You understand? I don't when when yeah. when I hear that, like I don't know what that track was as far as I'm track. Because when America is doing good, my people have always been still doing what they've been doing, still doing bad. You know what I mean? If the country yeah. is thriving, I got still majority of my relatives and people I know that are still trying to eat, regardless. You know what I mean? So I don't even know what that looked like, but maybe it's not meant for me to see it. Maybe it's meant for me to say what I need to say, be a part of conversations like this on this show. And maybe it's meant for a generation to come after that and then them to see it and actually put it into action. Maybe. Right. I got a lot more life to live, hopefully, on this planet and you, too. But right now, that's just where I'm at with it. Hey, man, I, you know, I can't ask for nothing, nothing more than that, man. I, I appreciate that. And I thought I think your response is great and right on point. You know, I think sometimes, you know, or as a nation, as a globe, uh, you know, I think sometimes we make things more complicated than they really need to be. Uh, for example, if I wronged you, if I did something wrong to you and we fall out, how can I come back to you the next day, Jay, and act like nothing happened and expect, you know, what I'm saying for our friendship or whatever to go on. So I feel you when you say 
acknowledge what happened. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we can't until until I feel you on that. So I appreciate the way you answered that. Um, trick question. You ready? I'm ready. And, and I know your time is valuable, so I'm going to wind it down and I'm going to let no, you get up out of here. Take your time. Because I, I do not want to burn this bridge. I want you to come back. Right? No, I got time, brother. Go ahead. Good, good, good. So if you could get in a time machine, right, you could go back and you could change one thing as it relates to culture, diversity, inclusion. Uh, what would you change and why would you change it? There's anything I can change in the time machine. What would I change and how would I change it? Mm-hmm. Man, there's a lot. But the one thing I say off the top of my head, I would change them damn stoop loans. Yo, <laughs> if you was black, if you was black, you should have went to college for free. All school and education should have been for free. I would change them student loans, brother. You know, mm-hmm. I wish I wish it had something written when I signed those papers in there because I had to do what I had to do. But I, I wish it had written that, hey, listen, if you still broke after a certain period post-college, you don't owe us no more, man. It's all right. We understand. Like, I wish it was written right. in there, you know, because, man, I tell you, I, one time I was so it was so bad. I needed a job so bad. One time I was facing eviction and I got hired at Enterprise the Rental okay. Park Agency. So I'm like, bad. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm about to get this job. I'm on my way to the to do the paperwork. They hired me, man. I went through all the interview process, everything. I'm getting ready to get on the train, Greenbelt Station in Maryland. And then they call me and they say, hey, listen, unfortunately, before you come, you can't come because uh, we just saw something in your credit. I'm like, well, what did you see? They're like, oh, you have all these loans. I'm like, well, yeah. Also, I have a degree. You know, I went to college, hence why you interviewed yeah. me and said I got the job. Well, if there was, if there could just be something you could do with these loans, you know, um, you know, maybe we can, but right now we can't proceed with you. We we can't we can't hire you. I said, wait, 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 wait. So you mean to tell me that you hired me or you interviewed me because I had a college degree, and now you're going to punish me because the reason, the ways I had to go about getting that college degree, I owe. And she was like, well, if you could just pay, I said, well, I got one question. She said, what? I said, how am I going to pay with no job? <laughs> right. Ah, right. because you just telling yeah. me I can't come work for you, yo. Student loans, man, and what they do to us, it's, it's, I don't think nobody can really articulate the impact of how, especially when you're black, how it postpone you. Because we talk about when it gets to a point where it's affecting your ability to get a job, then now I'm sitting yeah. in a position where I can't pay off this education that you told me I needed to get in order to just exist here in America. Right. So yeah, brother, that time machine, I would do a lot of work. But if I only had one, I think up top of my head, let me get rid of them damn uh, Sally Mae without exist no more. I mean, when she don't no more, she's called Davion or something <laughs> like that. But me and her have a deeper conversation, brother. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, I appreciate that, man. You keeping it real. So, Jay, man, it, it's really been, been, this has been an awesome experience, man. Just sitting down and chopping it up with you. And, and like I said, uh, I ain't going to hold you too long this time because you might not want to come back if I do. Uh, but I really appreciate you. I, I thank you for your contribution to hip hop. I thank you uh, for having this conversation with me this evening. And uh, I just much love, much respect. Would you come back and, and chop it up with me again? Always. You know, I need to get more into my South Carolina heritage and the work that you're doing. I got to keep tabs on you, brother. You know what I mean? Because we're supposed to be doing this thing together, you know, in this communication podcast space, because I don't think people know or are aware all the work that you've been doing on there. So the fact that you actually have a voice, you're one of the people 
that we've been asking for, like people who work in law enforcement, we need to right. hear more from them. You know, that's what we've been asking for. We need to hear more from these brothers, you know, who going to give us that real, real, you know, point of view and everything like that. Because we understand that being a cop and law enforcement is one of the hardest jobs. I ain't signed up for it. You understand? Like we, we, we right. get that part. What we don't get is the things that keep happening where we got to pay the price and we need more voices out there. Because when I spoke to you and you was on our show, you kept it a thousand. You know, you said what these be, these guys are doing wrong and what they need to do right. And so we need to hear more from you. So, yeah, absolutely. I will come back on the show, man. Long as my student loans don't block me from coming on the show. <laughs> whatever you need from me, you got me. <laughs> I certainly appreciate that. So, Jay, can you let everybody know how they can find your podcast, how they can find you on social media? Absolutely. Shout out to Mean Online Media. Um, you can find my show, The History of Being Black, is on IG, but you can also find it on Spotify, all the places that you listen to, podcasts, iHeartRadio. Um, and a, a lot of other ones. But listen, you can always follow me on all social media platforms at Jayhaw Society. That's Jayhaw Society. I'm on all social media platforms, Twitter, IG, all of that. And trust me, I post all the time about episodes. We drop every week, you know, um, whether it's Thursday or Monday. And you can always check us out and make sure that you let us know how you feel about it and everything like that. All right. Again, thank you for coming on. Uh, and I thank everybody for listening to another episode of Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits, uh, where I always remind you not to get it twisted and think just because it's called safe, that is soft. We really try to unpack our bags and just talk about stuff that impact us all. All right. So until next time, peace. The Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Waits. Executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcasts. Find Kevin Waits on Facebook at Kevin Waits and join the Safe Conversations group. Follow the Mino Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mino Line Media. Get the Mino Line Media app in the App Store or Google Play. The Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast is a Mean Old Line Media production. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.